Hello and welcome to the Huguenot Podcast, episode 112. Today we are going to continue the Inspired By series and I'll be going over Nana and the things that she makes me think about. But before we get into that, I wanted to do some quick station news. Uh, if you want to visit my website, you can do that at hugenhoff.org. That's www.hugenhoff.org. If you wanted to subscribe to the RSS, you can find all the links there. Since it's a monthly podcast, it's easier to remember that way. And of course, you can send me emails at hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. I did also want to mention that... Lore wrote a book. You can find that on Amazon. Just search for Stephen Oaks. He's actually written a number of books. So there's a bunch out there that you can read from him and the links will be in the show note. I also wrote a book. You can find that on Amazon as well. And there's a link for that in the show notes. I also wrote a D&D campaign and I'm going to write more of those in the future because those are fun. And you can find the link for that in the show notes. So everything is going to be in the show notes. Um, I think that's it for the station news, so let's just jump into the topic. Okay, so we're talking about Nana, and as everybody probably knows, Nana is the wife of Balder, who we talked about last time. She's associated with joy, peace, and the moon, according to Wikipedia. Um, And I think this actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, If we think about the things that Balder was associated with, um, it's kind of along the same lines, and Balder was very much a son god so his wife being a moon goddess makes a lot of sense and when balder died she died of grief and was placed on the same funeral pyre with them Uh, so obviously they were very much in love with each other and very close and this also implies that since balder comes back after ragnarok nana will too so currently we have odin and frigga as the quote-unquote ruling couple in Asgard. So after Ragnarok, it's going to be Balder and Nana, who you can see are very much good, honorable gods that make sense to be like the in-charge deities. It also makes you wonder, uh, will the next cycle be different than the first one? Similar, but different. Different uh, emphasis. I feel like a huge emphasis of the current cycle and a huge emphasis of mine in particular is like knowledge because Odin is very much about knowledge. Will there be more about uh, harmony and peace and joy and stuff like that in the next cycle? I don't know. This is all speculation. The Lord doesn't tell us and we don't need to know because we won't be there. But nonetheless, I, I kind of think that's interesting. Uh, anyway... So Nana is very much about like joy and peace. And you've also got the idea that, you know, she is going to be the head god, yes, in the next cycle. And it it says that she was reunited with Balder in hell when he went to hell. So they're both there for now and they're together. And then in the next cycle, they will be reborn. They also had the son for Seti, who is, again, a very honorable god. He has a lot to do with justice. Um, and legal proceedings and law and stuff like that. It's more about the process of law rather than just, I guess I'll call it simple justice. Simple justice is important, right? It's like, well, the murderer murdered you, so now you have to get rid of the murderer somehow. Is that by putting him in jail? Is that by 
killing them back, whatever. You have to. And it's sometimes called vengeance. That's a discussion I've had before that I'm not going to get into right now. But it's very much like somebody did wrong to you. So you do something to make sure that they can't do that wrong again. I mean, in the simplest terms, you quote unquote, get back at them. But maybe that's too much of a simplification because you have these whole ideas of blood feuds, which is not justice and is not what the god Tyr would be about. Um, but Tyr is more about the very, like, the act of administering justice in whatever way you might do that in. So again, justice can exist on a desert island with three people. You know, if person one steals from person two, and then person two uh, steals back from them, or maybe punishes them in some other way so they don't do it again, or maybe just throws a fet and beats them up, those things, you know, we could discuss each one, but those could be construed as justice. But and that's the kind of justice that Tyr is in charge of. Like, the, the wrong has been righted. You stole the item back. Maybe you put the person in jail for some amount of time so they don't steal from others and leave it at that. For Seti's more about the bigger idea of justice. Like, you have a court of law and everybody is governed by the same rules. Justice is important so that, like, quote-unquote, bad people don't get away with doing bad things. But it, it can also get messy, and we can think something's just that's not just, and we can treat different people differently, and there's all these pitfalls to justice, unless you've just got a really high moral character, you're not going to be able to dispense justice correctly every single time, which is where laws come into place. And that's where Forsetti comes into place. He's kind of necessary to have the more reasoned approach to justice where we have structure and stuff like that, which is extremely important. And it's almost a more peaceful way of dealing with the idea of justice and vengeance. So you might think in justice, like somebody kills somebody and then you kill them back. It's like, well, I... I I guess, that, I guess that's just, because that person, in the act of taking someone else's rights away, have surrendered their human rights, so maybe you can kill them back. But it's not, it's not very civilized, but maybe it's okay. You know, you can have that as your own philosophical argument, whether you believe that's okay or not. Uh, but in this, and, and that would be a kind of justice that would be more in line with tier but like oh this person killed somebody we can't have a society with murders in it so we will judge them by a jury of their peers because we know we're not perfect and then we'll put them in jail for the rest of their lives that is a more civilized if you will form of justice and that is kind of what Forsetti would be in charge of so I, I think looking at Forsetti tells you something about his parents and the fact that they are more peaceful um, not to the extreme, like they never go to war. I think that Balder and Nana would realize that sometimes war is a necessary thing and not rail against that. But I think they're more focused on peace and keeping things in line. You know, they're both known to be beautiful, 
gods, a beautiful god and goddess. Um, so all of that like peaceful, peaceful stuff, if you will, is kind of in there, which kind of makes you wonder about what the next cycle after Ragnarok would be. But again, we can't know that, so I'm not going to jump into that. Um, uh, but where I was going with all of this, since we kind of talked about Balder last time and the idea of rebirth, which is obviously very important, and Nana would also represent that. Today, I want to kind of talk about like the balance in general and the fact that we need balance in, ev in everything. And I got to thinking about it because Balder is going to be in charge in the next cycle after Ragnarok. That wouldn't be balanced if it was just Balder. And I didn't mention this last time, and I wish I had. I regret forgetting it. Nana is also going to be there because you can't have just the male part and have balance. If you have just a male god in charge, that is very unbalanced. That is not a healthy world to live in because you're missing half of the world. So you also need like the female aspect. You, you need like the male and the female aspects coming together to create any sort of real balance. So again, if you had just Balder, it wouldn't be balanced. If you had just Odin, it wouldn't be balanced. You know, you need Frega, or, or in the case of the next cycle, you need Nana to provide that more like fem feminine aspect to provide balance. And I think it's really easy to forget about that sometimes um, because like the Balder story is mostly talking about Balder. And then at the end, it's mentioned that, that Nana dies of grief and is put on the funeral pyre. And sometimes when we're retelling that story, we, we say that, but then we say, and yeah, that's important because Balder will be in charge in the next cycle of Ragnarok. So it says, is talking about rebirth. But sometimes we forget to say, and so is Nana because it needs to be balanced. So that's what I'm saying now. In everything you do, I think there needs to be balance. Uh, everything that's done well needs needs to be balanced. So if you've got like the male part, you need the female part. Um, and, and then in addition to that, I like Balder is a god of the sun and Nana is a god of the moon. So you need the day, but you also need the night. If we didn't have night, uh, things would just fall apart. There'd be too much sun. Crops wouldn't grow right because they don't have that like dark time to be out of the sun and rest and recover. Animals would be all messed up because most animals have like, I mean, if they're diurnal or nocturnal, they have a period of time where they're awake and a period of time where they're resting and they need those two periods of time. And the way that they realize, hey, it's time to go to sleep is the changing of dark to light even if you're nocturnal, you're still going to say, oh, it's light out. I need to go to sleep now. And you know, most animals don't have watches. We're actually, we're the only animals that have watches. So most animals can't just like regulate that by looking at it. And quite honestly, we're not great at that ourselves. I mean, a lot of us stay up way too late. Um, but one of our triggers to go to sleep is it starts to get dark outside and definitely even more so with animals one of their triggers is hey it's dark outside i need to get to sleep so what i'm saying is for things to live and to live well and to live in a healthy state you need to be in balance you need a certain amount of darkness and you need a certain amount of light makes us think if we ever get to like space travel um 
we're, we're probably going to have to artificially replicate that because if you're in the dead of space you don't have that cycle of light and dark anymore so we'll probably have to make a cycle of light and dark but it also makes you wonder like what would happen you know this is one of those forbidden experiments please nobody do this but it makes you wonder what would happen if you were to take a group of people and put them like underground so you control all of the environment and you make the day night cycle because it's 24 hours now right what if you make the day night cycle 30 hours like would what would happen would they just have would they just sleep longer and stay awake longer and then what if you upped it to 40 hours or 50 hours or you know keep going of course, you have to have like a whole generation down there to really see the effects. But can we just indefinitely stretch our sleep-wake cycles out? Uh, probably not. Are we going to start like sleeping in the middle of the day? What would happen to people? Don't give them watch. Just all of a sudden, they're, they're born into a day-night cycle of 40 hours instead of 24 hours. What happens? I feel like it would screw people up real bad. That's my inclination. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. I think that we need a certain balance of light dark. And I know it's tempting to say like, and see, the gods made the world perfectly because they gave us 24 hours and that's how much we need. Well, okay, but also maybe we evolved to the 24-hour cycle. So it's not so much 24 hours is the perfect and you can never have more than 24 hours or less than 24 hours. You could probably get away with a 20-hour cycle. You could probably get away with a 30-hour cycle. If you evolved on a planet that didn't have the day-night cycle, you wouldn't use the day-night cycle as your delimiter between wake time and sleep time. You'd use something else. What would that something else be? I don't know. That'd be interesting. Or is it the case that just life wouldn't develop? Who knows? These are all questions that we will probably never know, but would certainly be interesting to know. I mean, unless we find some aliens and see how they lived, but that's not likely. Anyway, my point is, from a human perspective, because that is what we are, we are humans, um, from a human perspective, we need the balance of a day-night cycle. And from most all animals on earth they need a balance of the day night cycle and for most al most animals they need like the male female balance you know a group of animals will not live if there are only males in it nor will it live if there are only females in it unless they're those weird frogs where the females can turn into males then they'll be fine but for for humans and many other animals we have evolved to have males and females so we need both of those and i feel like sometimes society tries to change that and be like oh we don't need a balance or, or this doesn't need to be balanced or males can there can be more males and males can be overrepresented overrepresented in every aspect of society and that's just fine and i don't really think that is just fine um i it's one of those things that's getting better but like there's there's a lot of media including video games unfortunately because i i play a lot of video games which is why i say unfortunately but there's there's a lot of there's a lack of balance in a lot of video games especially older video games i really do think it's getting better as we move forward but i think we need to bring that balance back so that we can have like women represented in video games um and since we're talking about it you really want all groups of people um 
represented in video games. You don't want just one type of person represented in video games because that's not what reality is. We don't have just one type of person in reality. You want all the different lifestyles and ethnic groups and all that other stuff represented fairly in video games. But th that is a different conversation and this is not a video game podcast. So what I am going to go back to is just the fact that it's important that we have balance. And so, like, we can have different ideas and bounce it off different groups, yes, but also just so we can live, because, you know, if there is no day-night cycle, we probably all die. And there's other kind of balances, too. So this is where I'm kind of going off more and more on tangents, but they're still important. Uh, like, you've got a work-life balance. That's one that's super hard to strike. And I mean, especially, I feel like in... Also true, there's a big push on having like a strong work ethic. You know, you work hard every day. You should work hard to be honorable. You have to work. You have to be a hard worker. There's like the Fraholda stories um, and, and lots of pieces of uh, folklore that talk about why you need to work hard and you'll be rewarded for that. But you also need to take time off of working hard to spend with your family and to work on yourself. It's so easy to say working hard is a virtue and spend, you know, 40 hours a week at work. And when you're off of work, you're just thinking about what you're going to do at work when you go back to work. And like I sometimes catch myself doing this and try very hard to stop it. If I'm thinking about work when I'm not on the clock, I'm like, no, I need to do something else. I need to I need to meditate and work on myself, which I don't do enough. Or I need to spend some time with the kids and work on those relationships because, you know, they're they're my kids. They're more important than my job. So why am I thinking about my job when I could be spending it with them? The only reason I work is so that I can make money to have nice things for my kids. So why am I thinking about work on my time off? It's dumb. It doesn't make sense. Uh, but there is this idea of like, oh, I got to work hard because it's honorable to work hard. So I'm going to work hard. And then you end up sabotaging the things you're working for by working hard. And that's another balance. The solution isn't to quit your job that's not balanced either and obviously you wouldn't have any money and <clears throat> you'd all go hungry and live in the street that's not good but you should work hard you should have a job outside of your house just because it's necessary and that's how you make money but you shouldn't work so hard that you forget about the things you're working for like your family so that's another aspect that you need to bring into balance. And then I think it's important to play as well. You know, yes, you have to work 40 hours a week. And let's say that you're better than me and you're good at that. You stop thinking about work as soon as um, you're off the clock. That's great. You got that down. And now you've got, what, another eight hours, eight hours a day of sleep. So you need to sleep. There's another form of balance. You need to have that sleep time in there. But then you've got this other eight hours a day. Let's say four of it goes to maintenance stuff like doing the dishes, making meals, stuff like taking a shower, stuff like that, stuff you can't get out of. All of a sudden, this is sort of a bummer because you've got four hours to yourself. The day only has 24 hours in it. So what are you going to do with those four hours? I think it's very tempting to be like, well... Mm, those four hours go to meditating. I'm going to meditate four hours a day so I can work on myself as a person. Or those four hours go to um, 
teaching the kids math because I want to have a good, strong foundation in math. I want the kids to have a good, strong foundation in math. It's really easy and tempting to say and do that. And, and I hate to even say it's a bad thing if you're spending like all of your free time let's say you don't have kids if you're spending all of your free time meditating and trying to improve yourself it's like part of me wants to say good for you and i will say hey you've got some really strong motivation and and that's a good skill to have good job staying motivated enough to do that but actually you need to take some time off as well you need to do something fun or you're you're going to burn out i mean that's what really happens you're going to burn well two things happen you're going to burn out you're going to take yourself way too seriously i i feel like there's a risk when somebody just doesn't have any play time they don't do anything for fun they end up just taking everything so seriously everything's a matter of life and death and i don't a i don't think that's a good way to live because i don't think it's right b um, I don't think you'll be very happy. And like, ultimately, you have to be happy. That's what it's all about is to like, be happy. Uh, I mean, that's a bit of a simplification. But the reason you do the meditation to work on yourself is so that you can understand yourself and make yourself better. So you'll be more happy. If everyone was just filled with joy and contentment, I wouldn't tell anybody to meditate because why? For what? You're already filled with joy and contentment. The problem is we're not joy filled with joy and contentment. A lot of people are unhappy a lot of the time. You know, we have a tendency as humans to cling to the mistakes we made in the past and we have a tendency as humans to think that material things will make us happy and to desperately cling to those. But those things, A, will never make us happy, and B, they'll, make, they'll break or not work as expected and, and make us unhappy. And then the vast majority of the time we spend being unhappy. So, so the reason you take on the other things like, like meditating and working on yourself is so you will be happy because you can realize what's important and what's, what's not important. And the reason you go out and you spend time with your kids, it's not just a sense of duty. It's because that forging that relationship and having a strong relationship with your kids that makes you happy that makes you feel fulfilled so you need to do that for those reasons all these reasons ultimately break or or tie back to the idea that you want to be happy that i should say that's the ultimate motivation do you meditate and play with your kids because you want to be happy or is being happy a sign that you've done the right thing meditating and playing with your kids? That's a philosophical question. That's a good one. And it's probably the latter. It's probably like, well, I'm happy, which shows that I did the right thing. But your ultimate motivation is probably to be happy. Like, that's why you did it. No one would meditate if it made them miserable. Um, your motivation for everything is is to be happy. And that doesn't mean when somebody says, why did you do this? To be happy is really the end-all answer. Maybe there's a bigger answer, like why did you meditate? Well, to be happy, okay, I don't know if that really explains it, to understand the world more fully because 
I think that as a human, part of my spiritual journey is understanding the way the world works. That might be a better answer. And then you could say, and I know I did it right because I'm happy. Maybe, maybe that's more correct. But what makes you go out and do it, what gives you that initial kick is the fact that you think it's going to make you happy. Anyway, that was a tangent. But my point is, you have to balance life. You have to have this work-life balance. You have to spend time at work. And, and here's the other thing. You can go the other way, where you show up to work and you just stare into space. And you're like, whatever. I'm going to do the least amount possible because I'm thinking about other things. I'm thinking about what I'm going to do tonight when I get home. That's not really right either because there, there is something important about working hard and having a good work effort, work ethic rather. So it balances, and, and this is the thing about balance, it, it goes in both ways. You can't have too much or too little of a thing. So it's important to have that balance. Um, I read something a long time ago talking about like what is the good, and I'm, I think it's Aristotle. Actually, I'm pretty sure it's Aristotle. But he was talking about the good is striking a balance. Actually, yes, and this example is Aristotle's. And he was talking about bravery. So bravery isn't a thing that you have. It's a balance of things. So if, if you are just not willing to take any risks at all and you're scared of everything and you never put yourself out there, that is a vice and it's called cowardice. You know, not fighting at all because you're scared. That is cowardice and it is a vice. So it's, it's, it's zero willing, it's zero thing. Let's call it willingness to fight. Zero willingness to fight is cowardice, and that's a vice. You shouldn't do that. You're not an ethical person if you do that. So then it's easy to think like, oh, well, I want like infinite willingness to fight, but infinite willingness to fight is foolhardiness, where you rush into battles without thinking, you're not concerned with yourself or, or even the victory, you're just you're just willing to fight and you're going to go out and put yourself in danger and who cares? That is a vice. That's foolhardiness. You don't want to do that. You're going to die and you're not going to make a difference. So willingness to fight is the, is the thing. And let's say it's a scale of 1 to 100. One willingness to fight is a vice. 100 willingness to fight is a, is a vice. They're both vices. But 50, net, 50 willingness to fight, right in the middle willingness to fight, is bravery. You're willing to do something to help yourself, your community, whatever. You're willing to take a risk because the risk needs to be taken. That is bravery and that is a virtue. So all of the virtues are not just having more of the thing, willingness to fight in this situation. The virtue is having a balance, realizing that I don't want to be a coward. I don't want to be foolhardy. I need to split the difference and be brave, and have bravery, and that's the virtue. And really, when you look at everything, that's what you're looking, that's what you're looking for, you know? Um, you don't want all day, you don't want all night. It's not that night is good and day is bad, it's not the other way around either. You need a balance of the two. So, you know, every everything in life, you need a balance of the two. You don't want to think about work and nothing else, because that's not healthy. You don't want to think about home life and just who cares about your crap job. That's not healthy. You're not going to be fulfilled at your job, which is where you spend eight hours a day. Um, 
and you're not really making the world a better place to your job, so, so that's not good. You want the balance where you think half about your job and half about your home life. And in your home life, you don't want to think all about you and nothing but you, and you don't want to think only about your kids and nothing about your kids while neglecting yourself. You want a balance where you think about kids a little bit and self a little bit. It is very tempting to try to come up with here is the thing that I want to maximize. And if I maximize the thing that is this, everything's going to be good and... Oh, what's this? Oh, I shouldn't have my phone out when I do this. Um, if, if, if you have... See, I've, <laughs> I've completely lost my train of thought. I'm very tempted to just not have a phone anymore. But then what if somebody calls me? Yeah, that wouldn't work. Anyway, I think what I was saying is the point is all about balance. You need to have balance. You don't want to be like all into work or all into kids, or I mean home life. You want to have a little bit of both. You don't want to think about just your kids. You don't want to think about just yourself. You need a balance. Because if you think about just your kids, the thing is that sounds good on paper, but you end up neglecting yourself and not understanding yourself and not understanding like why you do the things you do, not understanding the all these things, not not understanding what motivates you in the world, not understanding the difference between right and wrong in an extreme situation. And then what are you passing on to your kids? Because you're passing your ideas and your thoughts and your hopes and dreams on to your kids. And you're hoping that they pick up the good ones and drop the bad ones. But if if you've not spent some time to figure out your thoughts, then you're you're passing bad thoughts onto the kids. Now, obviously, if you spend all the time trying to figure out your thoughts, then you're passing on nothing to the kids because you don't have a relationship with them. That one's pretty obviously bad. But again, you need the middle ground where you spend some time on yourself, you figure out these thoughts, and then you pass the good ones on to the kids. You, you know, so with everything, there needs to be a balance. Oh, I was saying it's really tempting to have like a black and white picture of the world because the problem with balance is it gets like so subjective and gray. Let's go back to the foolhardy versus brave. If, if that's a scale, where where is the ethical part? Is it 35? Maybe you should err on the side of caution. Or is it 60? We're doing a 1 to 100 scale, remember? 1 you're a coward, 100, you're foolhardy. We know those are both vices. We got it. But where's the virtue? Is it 75? Should you be a, should you really put yourself out there? Or, or is it 25? You really should be careful. Or does it depend on your life situation? Here's, here's an example. Let's say you have your bravery at 50. So a war comes, a comes around and you're like, hey, I'm going to do my part for the country and I'm going to join that war. Okay, actually, maybe that puts your bravery up to 60. Let's say that. Now, if, if you're like, uh, oh, I don't know. Let's say you're, uh, let's just say you're a 30-year-old. Let's just say you're like a 30-year-old person. No plans to have kids or anything like that. Um, and and you just want to do this then, then I feel like the 60 bravery score well, that's pretty good that's I mean you're taking a risk that you'll die and you're 
your your mom and dad and your siblings and your friends are obviously going to miss you. It's never good when someone dies. It's always sad. It's always a tragedy. But maybe that's good. But but what if, and this isn't me, but what if you're in a situation where you have six kids and you are the sole breadwinner winner? Like your spouse, whatever gender you are, your spouse is a stay-at-home parent. They just take care of the kids. That's all they do because you got six of them. You need a stay-at-home parent at that point in time. Should you volunteer for the war? Is, is your bravery index of 60 really ethical? Or are you taking a bigger risk than the other person because you're going to leave six people without food? And let's say it's even worse. You don't have life insurance. And, you, and, and, and you're both orphans. You, you and your husband are both orphans. And you don't have life insurance. So if you die in this war... Your spouse is going to have six kids to take care of with absolutely no help doing that. Should your bravery quotient really be the 60 like the other person's? Or maybe it should be 25. Maybe you should be more cautious. Now, you know, if it comes right down to it and you get drafted into the war, let's say, and let's just pretend for the sake of argument it's a justified draft because aliens are attacking us and there's no choice but to fight then yeah you should still go even in that situation you should still go because you got drafted you don't really have a choice um the aliens are attacking you need to protect your country fine but should you volunteer for the war when you have six well seven seven people who rely on your income literally to live and they have no other choice i don't know that's why i don't that's why i always want there to be like the good thing the more of the, you know like experience points in a video game the more xp you have the better there's never a downside the problem is in real life there is because everything's balanced it's not just building your character up it's balancing your character, which is way hard because every video game is different. Like Dark Souls, you don't want to balance it. You want to put everything into like your one stat, strength or intelligence, depending on which build you're playing. Uh, but then there's other video games where you're supposed to balance it and you're supposed to have a little bit in each stat. So you're a jack of all trades and a master of none. And like, well, what's life? That's a great question. And the stats don't have number values, so you can't actually say, well, you should be bravery 30 in your situation, or you should be bravery 70. Like, there's not a number. It's it's very much a gray area. It very much makes things difficult to do. And all you can do is spend some time to think up, think about it and think what is right for you. That said, that is a very important thing to do. And I think that for the most part, you can at least figure out a good approximation of where you should be as a person. Um, too many times we don't actually spend the time thinking about what we should be doing with our lives and, and what is ethical and what is not ethical. You know, if you're in a, situ in a life and death situation, that is not the time to decide if it's ethical to kill someone or not, you know? Like, it's too late. You kind of need to have these things figured out. Is it ever ethical to kill? Is it always wrong to kill someone? You know, the, the classic self-defense case. Somebody breaks into your house, points a gun at your head, and you're like, I'm going to shoot you all. If you have the opportunity to somehow disarm them and kill them, is that ethical? Or should you say, well, I'm not going to kill somebody, even if it means I'll die? You know, that's a choice you need to 
come to terms with so that in those high stress situations you're ready to do whatever needs to be done so and it doesn't have to be something that extreme you could oh i don't know you could you could come up with a million different examples here's a good one is it ever right to cheat on a test uh, some people might think like well the test was unfair so i'm justified in cheating i'm not one of those people i don't think it's ever right to cheat on a test but you need to have that figured out because there's i guarantee there will be a time in your life where you have the opportunity to cheat on a test and you need to know what you're going to do i feel like that's a pretty safe one nobody thinks cheating is okay but i don't know maybe there's a justification for cheating in some situation i don't know um i'm sure you could come up with one if you really tried but all of these different situations is it ever okay to lie to someone that's that is a good one like if somebody says i have your family held cap okay so i generally speaking think lying is wrong but if somebody says hey i'm gonna go murder your entire family what's your address are you allowed to give a fake address there's something you should probably have figured out and again am i coming up with extreme examples that will never happen of course i am but if you can figure out the extreme examples, then the milder examples are a lot easier to deal with. Like if you have kids, hey kids, if somebody calls and you answer the phone and they ask if your parents are home, say, yeah, they're in the shower right now and can't come to the phone. That's a lie. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with telling your kids to lie? What about Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy? Those are lies. Are you okay with those lies now if you were like well in the life and death situation lines wrong but i'm totally going to talk about santa claus that seems a little hypocritical but i think that many very reasonable people would say well of course if someone said tell me where your family is i'm going to go murder them you'll give a fake address i think lots of reasonable people would say oh yeah you lie and those same reasonable people can then say well there's sometimes when you lie lines not always wrong so i'm going to say the tooth fairy and the easter bunny are real because sure it's a lie but it's okay to lie once in a while people will say that and i'm not going to say those people are wrong i'm i'm pretty far on the line is bad thing i don't really think there's a lot of instances where it's okay to lie and, and you know there's a lot of times where it seems like you I have to give a lie when you don't give a lie like with the kid thing how about don't answer the phone if i'm not at home because they don't need to be talking to children anyway or if somebody says hey tell me where my your family is or i'm gonna because i'm gonna go murder them all i mean you could always say no i'm not gonna tell you but anyway is it is it okay to lie sometimes in extreme situations that's something you should figure out now when you're not in the extreme situation so when the extreme situation comes you're ready anyway i've gotten totally off on a tangent so i think i'm just going to wrap it up here my final thoughts is balance is really important um we need the light we need the dark we need the masculine we need the feminine we need we need a, a balance in all things and i really do think that for a large part the virtue is the balance foolhardiness foolhardiness is a vice cowardice is a vice or cowardice is a vice foolhardiness is a vice but bravery is the virtue it's the balancing of those two extremes into into something that is right and and i like that you know we look at that we look into ourselves and we say oh it's all about balance but we can also look out into the world and say this world works because we have light and we have dark we have cold and we have heat 
the whole beginning of the world was when Musfelheim and Nifelheim came together, when you had two opposites, which by themselves were destructive, coming together to create Ginnegap and then ultimately Midgard. You had two extremes coming together, and when they met in the middle, they created something good. So, balance in all things is extremely important. Those are my final thoughts. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I got really rambling. This went on longer than normal, but, you know, that's fine because there's basically no structure to these things, and I let myself do that. I do hope you got something out of it. I do hope you enjoyed it, and I would very much suggest you take some time to think about balance and Balder and Nana and that relationship because there's a lot of interesting stuff in there so i will wrap up for today by saying thank you for listening and by reminding you that you can check out lore's book on amazon just search stephen oaks mine is there too i've got some DD campaigns on frothnair.com and it's all in the show notes so you don't have to remember any of that those can be found at my website hugenhoff.org h-u-g-i-n-h-o-f.org And you can also subscribe to the RSS there. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I will talk to you next month. Frahel.